Welcome to episode 53 of This Week in Legal Blogging, presented by LexBlog. This is Bob Ambrogi. I am the host of the podcast. And LexBlog is home to the world's largest community of legal bloggers and is the industry-leading provider of professional blogs and turnkey digital publishing solutions to lawyers and to the world's largest law firms for more than 17 years. Today on This Week in Legal Blogging, I am very pleased to have as my guest Aaron Luckin. He is the author of the Hague Law blog, and uh, he is a lawyer in Kansas City, Missouri, with uh, his firm, Viking Advocates. Aaron, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Bob. I appreciate it. So uh, you have a pretty unique practice, uh, it seems to me, and maybe I'm wrong, but uh, tell us a little bit about what you do. The, the, the easiest way to describe it is if a plaintiff's attorney in the United States or Canada needs to have a defendant served elsewhere in the world, uh, I step in and help them get that done. Uh, usually that's under the Hague Service Convention, thus the, the name of my blog. But I, I characterize what I do as the niche of niches. Uh, I handle one little tiny sliver of the litigation spectrum. And once in a while, I, I characterize it as the, the kickoff of a football game. If the, if the kicker doesn't step onto the field, nobody goes anywhere. So right. I, I'm, I'm kind of like a place kicker in that regard. I get the service done come back to the plaintiff's attorney with a proof and they're off to the races. Yeah. Every once in a while, I help on the on the flip side of that. If, uh, if defense counsel calls me and says, hey, I got a client in Germany or Japan or Ontario um, that, you know, we think they may have been served, but we're not real sure. Uh, I'll, I'll take a look at the documents. If I see a way to get the thing quashed, uh, I'll, I'll tell them that, but uh, there's not a lot of work uh, on that end of the spectrum. Your clients are other lawyers? Exclusively, yes. Yeah. I, in fact, when a, when a pro se litigant calls, uh, my wife is my office manager and she fields all the initial phone calls. And now that she's doing that, uh, I get a lot fewer pro se litigants that I have to disappoint. I let her disappoint them <laughs> because I, I, I simply can't talk to them, can't advise them. Uh, yeah. Because the odds are pretty significant, I'm not admitted to their uh, to practice in their state. I'm not going there. Yeah, be be careful with that. Having your wife as your office manager, I did that years ago, and then my wife decided she should go to law school. So uh, that didn't work out. Too well. well, well, my my <laughs> wife was a was the registrar at the law school here in Kansas City, and oh. she has decided very firmly, not no, but hell no, I'm not going to law school. <laughs> Um, she does have a master's degree in dispute resolution from Creighton Law, huh. uh, but she knows uh, JD is just not the way she wants to go. Yeah, yeah. How long have you been in practice? About eight years. I was I was one of the old guys in law school, and even a couple of there were a couple of classes where I was older than the professor, and uh, that that made for a little a yeah. uh, little bit of a weird interaction. Yeah. But why uh, why was that? What were you doing before you went to law school? I uh, well, right out of college, I worked in politics for a few years, uh, and then kind of meandered. I couldn't couldn't really make a lot of money in politics, so uh, I ended up here in Kansas City and got a job in sales with the phone company and spent ten years there. Oh. And then after that, decided, yeah, I I need to pull the trigger and do this. Yeah. I've, I've got to get uh, get into the field. Yeah, I, I see those flags behind you. You were in the military as well. 
Uh, actually, no. Uh, this one, uh, right, the, the one over my right shoulder uh, is my grandfather's, and the one over my left shoulder is my father. So, oh, oh, oh. so I'm, a, I'm an Army brat. You're an Army brat. Okay. Yep. So you moved around a little bit. Then. A lot, a lot. And that's, that's kind of how I got into, you know, the international end of practice. Uh, we, we moved to Belgium when I was five. Uh, and the next thing I know, I'm a French major in college, spending a semester in Normandy and thinking, hmm, international law, that might be a way I like to go. Right. So is, is that how you got into this? I mean, did you know going to law school that this is what you wanted to do or something involving international law? So, something involving international law. And I, I just kind of stumbled into this, into this particular niche. Uh, after I graduated in 2012, could not find a job to save my life. Uh, I was working at the continuing legal education office at the law school at UMKC. So I was, was I was left time time. looking for a legal job. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, I, I literally started, uh, started my second year when the trough of the, the legal job market just bottomed out. Um, but after, after about a year, I found, found a job with a translation company based in New York that had an office here in Kansas City that they staffed with a couple of lawyers that handled Hague service. Huh. And it was, it was kind of a loss leader for the translation company. And my, my philosophy on that was that the legal end of things needed to be the primary. Yeah. And translation was the was the bolt on service. Um, did that for about three years and realized ah, I got to go hang out my shingle. I got to go do my own thing. So. Yeah. Are there other lawyers who specialize in just for international service of process? That I know of, there are three, and they're all within about five miles of where I'm sitting right now. There are there are lots of. Uh, process servers that think they can do it. They really can't. Um, it, it, it takes a lawyer to really uh, delve into the minutia of how to do it or what to do and how to do it. There, there are very few lawyers that are in this niche. Very few. Is that is there any reason they happen to all be concentrated within a few miles of each other? Because of the because of the translation company, yeah, we uh, one still works there, and two of us used to work there. Um, and it's it's such a uh, it's it's such a uh, a wide open market. If you think if you've ever read the Blue Ocean Strategy, um, the ocean is still very very blue. Uh, in the translation business, it's it's scarlet red. Uh, yeah. But when it comes to the the vast number of lawsuits that are filed against offshore defendants, um, there there could literally the market could support twenty firms doing this. And, and what kinds of lawsuits do these tend to be? I mean, how common is it that these service issues come up? These cross border services all all the time. Whether uh, whether it's a uh, divorce. Um, so you've got a, a, a GI that gets stationed in uh, Frankfurt, Germany, and he falls in love with a local girl, marries her, brings her home. Uh, she spends six months in Chicago and decides, nine dusty sneaked, I'm going home. What's he going to do? He's, you know, he's, he's going to go to Cook County and try to get a, a dissolution, but he still has to serve her. That's very common. The range literally goes from divorces to personal injury to trademark and patent infringement to contract disputes. Literally anything that can be litigated is going to have uh, is going to eventually have some international issue pop up. A lot of uh, adversary proceedings and bankruptcy. Uh, it's it, 
quite literally, if there's a summons with another with a, a defendant listed on it in another country, this is going to pop up. Yeah. Are, are some of these service cases more complex than others? I mean, does it depend on the country or the nature of the lawsuit? Or yeah, ev- everything is is very fact specific. Um, the the range of countries uh, goes from the easiest, which is Canada, to the most difficult, which is Mexico. We're literally bookended by the best and worst. But the the complexity really comes in when you've got uh, you know a, a you know massive complex uh, case that's got fifty four defendants in seventeen countries, and we need to translate the documents into twelve different languages. That's that's where the the complexity really kicks in quite a bit. So uh, those those are the cases that you like to get, uh, just when you need to have the boat payment due or the house. Exactly, payment. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, not a boat payment, but the uh, yeah, you're the, in Kansas. The, uh, the summer, the summer home in Glasgow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. So um, you started your practice. Um, at what point after starting your practice, or did you did you start a blog and get, get started with that? Day one, uh, literally yeah. the moment the moment I launched, uh, but I was self publishing on uh, uh, on my my firm website, and it it really didn't get a whole lot of traction. Yeah. So I I had been following the China Law blog uh, yeah. for quite a while, so I. Yeah. I sent a cold email to Dan Harris in Seattle and I said, Hey, can I, can I pick your brain for a few minutes and, you know, yeah. see what, see what I'm doing wrong here. Um, and if they, I, I assume, you know, Dan. Yeah. Uh, and he uh, occasionally he, blogs about some of these, these, uh, service issues. I've yeah, seen that yeah. pop up on his blog from time to time. He, um, the, the, if you know, I mean, anybody that knows Dan and knows what kind of a guy he is, he, he spent two hours on the phone with me. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he could justify billing $7,000 an hour. Right. So right. the advice that he gave me was incredibly gracious. Um, I've also had a lot of guidance from uh, Ted Folkman in Boston. He writes mm-hmm. uh, letters blogatory. Yeah. And Melissa Kuczynski in Washington, she does um, cross-border family law issues, divorce and custody, child abduction, that kind of thing. But Dan in particular told me, yeah, you, you need to be on a platform that, that is going to, is going to ramp up your SEO so that it becomes relevant. And, you know, so I started, started following Kevin O'Keefe quite a bit. And within about, I don't know, within six or seven months of launching the firm, I realized, okay, I got to go Lex blog. It's, it's got to happen. That first year out, I paid myself the princely sum of $3,900. So the the cash flow was not such that I could be readily convinced that it was a good expenditure. The mm-hmm. startup costs were yeah. just not in the not in the budget. But my wife was very adamant: if you don't do this, the opportunity cost is massive. And it turns out she was right. So yeah. purely as yeah. a profit, my wife. So yeah. Did you look at? other blog hosting alternatives as opposed to just doing it on your own website besides Lexblog or did it just seem like Lexblog was the one to talk to? It, it really, it just seemed like Lexblog was the one to, the one to go with because there were so many legal blogs that it just, it felt like a natural home. Yeah. Um, it just, they, you know, who else is out there doing it? Yeah. Um, that's, it literally is uh, what, what Kevin talked about uh, in one of his posts, I think uh, last week or the week before, it's the long tail. Yeah, um, you yeah. focus on that very small niche, um, which in the 
panoply of blogs that are out there. Legal blogs are just a small portion. Focus on that, do it well, and uh, the sky's the limit. It really is. Yeah. Well, especially since you do have a, a a blog about a very unique topic. I mean, I searched, I was searching around this morning. As far as I could tell, there are no other blogs on this topic that I could find. Are there? Are I don't there think so. Are there? I, I couldn't. There, there, there are, but none that none that really get into the detail of how to do it. Yeah. Um, there are, and this this is a piece of advice that that. Dan and Kevin both gave me very early on, do not make this a sales pitch. Yeah, right. Share information, literally give information away. This is how you do it. These are the things to look out for. These are the questions we ask if you call us for help. All of those type of blogs are not only relevant to the to the reader, uh, but they they demonstrate that yeah, you're you're willing to give away the recipe uh, and you're not just doing it to get the phone to ring. Yep. And once once I embraced that philosophy, the phone started ringing and it hasn't stopped. Yeah. Well, that was going to be my next question. So so what happened? Uh, so you you moved over, you you launched on Lexblog. That was 2016, I think, 17? Uh, tw- uh, yeah, fall of 2016. I, mm-hmm. I actually launched it. Uh, I was in a coffee shop in The Hague uh, when I when I pulled the trigger and, and launched under that uh, under that masthead. Yeah. And when I went back a couple of years later, the coffee shop had been completely remodeled and gussied up for the uh, for the hipster crowd. And it just wasn't the same place anymore. Uh, But literally within within a matter of about two months, the phone was ringing and, and I became profitable after I pulled that trigger. That's pretty fascinating. And it was that people who you could attribute to having found you somehow related to because because of or related to the blog? Unquestionably, yeah. It, it, within you know, within a matter of weeks, I I put up very early on. I put up a uh, a series of how to posts: how to serve process in Germany, how to serve process in France, how to serve process in Japan. Uh, and and I knew that because of the the indexing uh, yeah. that Lexblog brought to the table, I I could literally forecast. Okay, I'm putting up a new one on service in Canada. I know within a month the phone's going to start ringing more with with Canada calls, yeah. and at this point, if if you get on Google and type in how to serve process in Vietnam, I promise I will be in the top five yeah. search results, organic yeah. search results. Yeah, I, I tried Google AdWords, I wasted a whole bunch of money very early on, but the the organic search has. Uh, not only made the phone ring, uh, but it's it's set it up so that lawyers can do it themselves. That's that's my biggest competitor, is the do-it-yourself lawyer. And the how-to posts I've got out there, if it's a fairly simple country uh, to serve in, they're they don't need me, and and I'm happy to put. I'm happy to put the guidance out there that way yeah. uh, to say that, no, you can't just hire a process server in Osaka. It doesn't work that way. They don't have them. This is what you have to do. And the the most popular post I've got on the blog is literally a step-by-step how-to guide on filling out the form that you have to send with your summons and complaint. Mm-hmm. Uh, it literally takes the reader by the hand and says, okay, step one, put your name and address in the upper left-hand corner box. 
Step two, put the foreign authority's name and address in the right-hand corner box. And literally every entry yeah. on this form, it gives them guidance. And that that has gotten more traffic than any other any other post I've got on the blog at all. It's really interesting. Well, I just took you up on your challenge and I Googled how to serve process in Vietnam and you were number one in the results, in the organic results. Uh, and well, actually there are no advertising results for that one. So you are right there at the top. Uh, so something's working. Yeah, it, it really is. If, if you yeah. substitute Germany or, or Japan or Mexico or, uh, or Italy, they're, they're high up in the rankings. Uh, the name of the form is USM 94 yeah. because the U.S. Marshals had to put a government printing office number on it in 1969. Yeah. Um, they didn't actually design it. The Hague Conference did. Um, but I took that and literally how to, how to fill out a USM 94. That's the, that's the big, that's the big post that gets the most traffic. So, so were you kind of methodical in the early days of the blog of thinking about what are the questions lawyers are most likely to ask, or what are the countries they're most likely to ask about and, and starting with those, or were yeah. you a little more random when you started out? No, it was, it was very, uh, very specifically geared toward the, the countries that see the most litigation, obviously Canada, obviously Mexico, but the big the big three in in East Asia are Japan, Korea, and China. In addition to those, though, Hong Kong and Taiwan. Over in Europe, uh, England is huge. So is Ireland. Germany, Switzerland is massive. There's there's a whole lot going on with uh, Swiss defendants, Dutch defendants as well. The Netherlands is a very big one. Mm-hmm. Um, to a lesser extent, France and Italy. A little bit of Greece, a little bit of Spain. But as I've you know, as I've fleshed out that list of these are the big players uh, and and the ones that get a lot of hits, uh, I've then here and there started putting up the less um, the less active countries. And by active, I mean I mean they're if they're less active, they just don't have a whole lot of litigation going on right. here in the U.S. or Canada. The the most recent one I put up though, uh, the night before last, uh, Barbados. Good timing. Ceased ceased to be a, uh, uh, a crown territory and became a republic. Prince Charles was standing right there as it happened. Oh, yeah. Uh, but I thought, you know, I don't have a post on Barbados. I need to do that. I need to make that happen. Uh, so Tuesday morning, I, I got on, typed out, a, typed out a fresh post, and boom, now Barbados is, is on the list. So. When you started this on your own site and then moved to Lexblog and started to build it up, um, how much experience had you had kind of writing this in, in the blog style before? How long did it take you to get into kind of a routine or develop a style around what you were going to do? It, it really didn't take very long uh, because I'm not I'm not only verbose, but I'm a smart ass as well. Um, <laughs> and I, I realized that... It, for for the record, I had a I had a terrible academic experience my first year of law school, so I did not make law review. I, I didn't even try because I knew it wasn't going to happen. Wasn't on my radar either. I wasn't. Yeah, gonna... but having read enough law review material and academic legal writing, I knew that's not going to fly. It, it right. just isn't. And one of the one of the biggest pieces of advice uh, that I got from uh, from Dan and from Ted were were very simple. Uh, you've got to use your own voice. 
Yeah. Uh, you've got to you've got to inject your own personality in it, and you've got to be honest. So, in in my blog on the first one I did on serving in India, it wasn't even a how-to post. It was brace yourself. This is going to take a while, and by a while, I mean a year and a half, two years maybe. Uh, and that was in the before times. India has. Uh, it wouldn't be surprising to have, to see a three-year turnaround time in India. But I, I'm I'm unabashed about that. I'm I'm not. I'm not inclined to be overly serious about an overly serious concept because if if there's no humor in it, what's the point? There, there's just no way to there's no way to properly get the story across and educate the reader without a little bit of entertainment value to it as well. Yeah, uh, it's it's not pervasive throughout the blog, uh, but there are places where you're you're going to get a little bit of a giggle. You know, some things that I, I put up that once seemed funny, uh, and then a year later I went back and reread them. I thought, I, I got to edit that out. That's that's got to go. Yeah, but it's personality is a big thing, and and right off the bat, I I already had that. Um, that thought in mind for my style. It's obviously evolved, but I, day one with with the entire concept of blogging, I did not want to be um, this this very staid, very academic sounding uh, writer. I wanted to have some some humor and some colloquial language in it. Yeah, yeah I mean that's really obvious from reading reading through your posts, uh, and uh, there's a, a a lightness to your writing, even even where it's not necessarily humorous per se. It's you're not taking yourself too seriously in what right. you're writing about, and, right. and I, I'm sure readers like that. And especially when you're talking lawyer to lawyer, it's probably maybe even a little bit easier to to do that, or or to to you can make it more comfortable for other lawyers, make yourself more approachable to other lawyers by being yeah. that sort of thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it, it, there's a there's a certain element in that of uh, the, the fact that uh, the fact that that I do only talk to lawyers and work for lawyers, I should say, it, it makes it a little bit easier to poke fun at our profession. Yeah, uh, because we, we all know we've all been through that ridiculous crucible that is law school and that even more ridiculous crucible that is the bar exam. Because we've all been there, there's a there's a camaraderie that that I like to foster in in what I write. And if uh, quite frankly, if if there's a lawyer out there that reads my blog and decides, well, I don't want to work with you know somebody that's uh, you know that thinks this is funny, uh, you know what? I don't I don't want to work with you. So uh, the the blog not only gets the phone to ring, but it it serves a certain gatekeeping function that. <laughs> You know, if somebody doesn't like my blog, they're not going to like working with me. You don't have a so, sense of humor, don't call. Yeah, exactly. Well, and and I'm I am seeing you as we're talking, even though this is a podcast. And maybe a good example of this is is that behind you is a little uh, board that has the phrase on it, "Not a cat." And if anybody doesn't know what that refers to at this point, then uh, they might have been hiding in a cave for the last two years. I assume that's what you're referring to. Yes, that's, that's exactly <laughs> it. And I, frankly, I through the through the pandemic, I I really haven't changed my uh, mode of operation a whole lot uh, yeah. because I've I've been working from home for going on. Yeah. I can't even do math anymore. It's been such a ridiculous lockdown. Yeah. Uh, but literally since since the day I started the firm, 
Uh, I've been sitting in this room at this desk. Yeah. You don't um, have clients coming to your office to meet with you ever. Exactly. And, yeah. Exactly. So yeah. it, it, and your clients what, are probably all over the country, right? All over the continent. In fact, I, I've got, uh, I've got con- or clients in uh, Hong Kong, uh, Singapore, um, the oddest, the oddest country I've ever had a client from, uh, is the Island of Mauritius, which is off the, off the East coast of Madagascar, about as far as Madagascar is off the East coast of mm-hmm. Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got an email from a lawyer on that little tiny Island, uh, a couple of years ago, Hey, I need to serve process in X, Y, Z. What do I do? I thought, okay, the, the blog's working when somebody in Mauritius can find me. <laughs> Yeah. Something I'm doing something right. So, yeah. So, so Aaron, that, that first year of, of, uh, of launching your practice, you said you didn't even paid yourself less than $4,000. Yeah. Uh, has it picked up since then? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's put it, put it this way. Uh, we've, um, when, when Peggy left the, the law school, this is about a year and a half ago, uh, the very first thing that that she did when she took over as my office manager was to build a software platform that that will literally take lawyers and paralegals and and other law firm staff by the hand and it'll help them fill out these forms by themselves. Wow. Um, and it, it part of the reason for building it was, hey, we'd like to have another revenue stream. This is a this is a market that just doesn't get filled and it, it functions kind of like TurboTax. Yeah. Um, at one end of the spectrum of lawyers, you've got the not no, but hell no, I'm not hiring somebody to do this for me. I'll figure it out myself. Yeah. And then at the other end of the spectrum is the not no, but hell no, I don't want to have to deal with this. I'm going to hire Aaron or somebody like him. But then in the middle, you've got those, those lawyers that either have budget constraints to say, no, we can't hire outside counsel or, you know, no, we think we can do this ourselves, but we'd like to have a little guidance. It's kind of like people that don't want to hire a CPA, but they know they can't do their taxes on their own. So what do they do? TurboTax. That has not only increased our revenue, but it has, um, uh, it's, it's made it so that if I've got just a one-off, you know, I've got a family lawyer in Covington, Kentucky that needs to, you know, needs to serve a defendant and a divorce defendant in Scotland. I say, you know what, it, save yourself, save yourself from money, some money, go to usm94.com. And it'll it'll walk you through what you need to do. And I'm sorry to make that sound like a commercial. No, well, I was about to ask you where people would find this, so uh, that's okay. You saved my breath. Uh, the um, but the the other thing it does is it has it's allowed me to shift my uh, shift my practice to the point where I can focus on the the more complex stuff, the yeah. 54 defendants in 17 countries, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and and that has kind of eased the administrative burden in the firm quite a bit. Yeah. But the 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 blog traffic is still there. Uh, it just kind of routes that traffic differently. Right. Whether it's to me or to the platform. Yeah. And and you've talked a lot about how you developed the blog by thinking about the kinds of posts you wanted to write, the kinds of posts people would want to read, moving it to Lexblog from your original hosting it yourself. Um, are there other activities that you've engaged in to promote the blog? Are you out there on social media? Are you engaging with people, I don't know, on LinkedIn or, or, or Twitter or whatever? Link, LinkedIn and Twitter, yes. I actually got off of Facebook 
about six or seven years ago. Uh, and it's the second smartest thing I've ever done. The first being convincing Peggy to marry me. But I, I just, I, I can't do Facebook because I don't like, I didn't like the, the person I'd become on Facebook. And I, I think there's a lot of, uh, a, a lot of similar attitudes, uh, especially yeah. in the legal profession. Um, LinkedIn has been just a, a fantastic outlet to, to network and get to know people and make connections that otherwise wouldn't happen. Twitter has, has been a great outlet to promote the blog, if for no other reason than somebody clicks on the link on Twitter, Google knows, hey, somebody's reading this. This is relevant stuff. It's, you know, it's not just clickbait. It's, it's actually topical. So it's, no. yes, social media has been, uh, has been necessary. Yeah. But the you're, real... you're going to regret getting off of Facebook when somebody comes to you saying, I want to do service of process in the metaverse. <laughs> yeah, but they're in California. I don't do stuff off, okay. off the okay. offshore. So. Okay. All right. So, uh, you know, you, you, you talked about talking to Dan, talking uh, to several others when you started your blog, looking for advice. Uh, so what have you learned about successful blogging now? that you didn't know or that you would want to share with others who are thinking about blogging? Uh, get over your hesitation. Um, I've, I've got a good friend here in Kansas City, one of my, one of my best friends from law school that uh, has a, a, he's got a goofy niche practice. You think I've got a niche practice? He's got one that's even more narrowly defined, uh, not only in terms of subject matter, but in terms of geography. And I've been, I've been telling him for a couple of years now, you, you got to start blogging because that's going to get clients in front of you. Uh, and even if it doesn't get clients in front of you, it's going to, it's going to raise the level of, of awareness on the issues in that niche. And he's, he's hesitant because much like me, he's kind of a smart ass and uh, you know, he doesn't want, he doesn't want the, the market to view him in, in the wrong light. And I, I, I told him exactly what I said a few minutes ago. If, if you're putting some humor and some levity into what is a very serious subject, that's going to make people more comfortable about coming to you. And if it doesn't make them more comfortable, they're going to be a very difficult client. And that's, that's something I've, I've only learned over time. I had no idea walking into this that being personable would serve those dual functions, bringing people in and keeping, keeping away uh, individuals that I don't want to work with. Other than clients, which are, of course, very important, uh, has blogging led to any other kinds of opportunities for you? Uh, speaking opportunities, particularly. I got to, uh, got to speak at the National Docketing Association conference a couple of years ago, again, in the before times. And I, I, got to, I got to know the NDA folks because several of my clients in New York were, were part of it. And they introduced me and they really liked, they, they liked the tenor of my blog. They liked the levity, yet levity coupled with practicality that came with it. And the, the members of this organization are all law firm, clerks, paralegals, yeah. the the people that make the trains run on time. Right, right. And uh, a friend of mine is is in the leadership of the organization. He called me up. He said, hey, uh, you want to come uh, speak at our conference in, in Denver in September? Yeah, yeah, sure. I'd love to. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I got 
I got about three or four stock CLE lectures that I could just pull off the shelf. It, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Yeah. We got it. We got it done. He says, yeah. "All right, let's have a let's have a call with the you know the president of the organization and a couple of the other executive board members tomorrow." Twenty four hours later, the president gets on the line and she says, "So, Bill tells me uh, that you're uh, you've agreed to be our keynote speaker." <laughs> You're what? <laughs> and I kind of, I, I was taken aback and I can hear Bill giggling in the background because he hadn't mentioned keynote to me. And I think that was by design. Yeah. Suddenly those off the shelf speeches don't work. So yeah, well. they, they don't. So I've got a challenge ahead of me. What the heck am I going to talk about? And then it, it, it dawned on me that, that one of the big challenges that, that I have is convincing high-level litigators that they need me, and that I bring value, and that I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna not only make their lives easier, but bring better value to their clients. Law firm staff have that same challenge, and you know the the secretaries and and legal assistants, whatever yeah. name that yeah. function is given, yeah. uh, they're the they're the movers and shakers in law firms. Yeah. It's not yeah. not the lawyers. <laughs> it's yeah. the uh, it's the people in the trenches that are that are making sure things get filed properly and, and procedurally yeah. everything works. I thought, huh, they're like kickers in the NFL. So I, I brought that analogy in and and my my favorite statistic that I was able to bring to them is out of the top 20 scorers in NFL history, all 20 are kickers. It's not Dan Marino, it's not Joe Montana. Uh, it's not, uh, it's, it's not Patrick Mahomes. And by the way, here in Kansas city, we, we kind of like Patrick. He's, he's done a lot of good here. Yeah, so, yeah. um, but they're, you know, guys like that are not the, they're not the ones that put points on the board. They're the guys that get the attention from, from ESPN, but over the course of a career, it's the kicker that makes the yeah. difference. So I, I put that in front of the, the, the NDA crowd and they, they just loved it. They, 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 they all took it back to their firms and said to the lawyers there, Hey, see, Aaron says you need to respect me. I don't know if it got the traction they hoped for, but, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty confident. Some of those lawyers realized, yeah, we do need to recognize our staff a little bit, uh, a little bit more readily. Yeah. I, I mean, this is such a yours is such a great story, really. Of uh, you know somebody who had traveled internationally uh, as a child, got had an interest uh, in in working in international law, fell into this kind of a niche area that a lot of lawyers probably don't even know exists until they right. need it. Exactly, uh, and, and then was able to uh, really build it into a, a successful independent law practice. Um, it's it's a great story. Any other words of advice or wisdom that you'd like to share before we wrap up? Start writing. Uh, you know whether you know whether you're an IP litigator in Longview, Texas, or uh, a transactional attorney in Manhattan, or a divorce lawyer in Redondo Beach, California. Just start writing for crying out loud. And that that applies to law students too. Kevin O'Keefe had a post the other day about the need for law schools to have blogging training yeah. or at least some kind of exposure to blogging because somebody might make law review and that'll make them a great clerk to an appellate judge someday. It may even make them a, a great legal writer in, in terms of the, 
the, the pleadings that they have to submit to a court, uh, but it's not necessarily going to get them, you know, that experience is not necessarily going to get them a job and it's not necessarily going to bring them clients. Whereas blogging has been, it's been proven time and time and time and time again to be the productive way to, uh, to make things happen. Well, Aaron, uh, it's been a real, uh, real pleasure to speak with you. Uh, and I really appreciate your taking the time to, to do this today and to share your story and to share your tips. My pleasure. I, I appreciate you having me on. Once again, we've been speaking today with Aaron Luckin. Uh, the blog is the Hague Law Blog, which you can find at hagelawblog.com, not surprisingly. Uh, his firm is uh, Viking Advocates LLC, which is vikinglaw.us. And uh, I hope you'll check out his blog and his firm website. And uh, once again, this was episode 53 of This Week in Legal Blogging. If you haven't done so yet, please be sure to check out our full library of shows. There are 52 before this one. Uh, wherever you get your podcasts, drop us a quick rating or review. We'd appreciate it. You can always go over to lexblog.com slash TWILB for this week in the blogging for outlines of each and every show we have done so far. This is Bob Ambrogi on behalf of myself and everybody at Lexblog. Thanks a whole lot for listening today. Stay well. Thank you.